Hey, hunting junkies, welcome back to a special Facebook Live edition of the Dury Outdoors 100% Wild Podcast, episode number 154. And do you guys know how we've hit that number of podcasts? Just plugging along, frankly. (laughs) Plugging along and the fact that the FCC cannot touch this content. So that's why we've made it this far. Exactly. They don't know any better. Right. I would say we've got a full studio. We've got a full guest list for sure. We've got a lot of folks with us. I'm Tim Chelsvik. I'm Matt Drury. And we got Mark Drury, Terry Drury, and a special guest, J.P. Morris from Bass Pro Shops. Hey, Cabela. Guys, thanks for having me. Thanks for oh, hopping hey, on. Hey, I kinda, hey. John Paul. I kind of feel like this is the, the Brady Bunch with when I'm looking at all you guys, like in the boxes, there's, we got everyone. Welcome aboard. Let's see if we can't screw it up some. <laughs> we'll, find, we'll find a way for sure. <laughs> so I want to, before we kick off things, I want to get with Mark here because Mark's, you know, up in Iowa. He was quarantined in Missouri for a long time. He finally went to Iowa and to kick off the Iowa turkey seasons on Monday and Tuesday, your, your, um, uh, Wade Robinson and Perry Batten both killed Monday, Tuesday. We put the kills up in, um, and deer cast. We went live Tuesday morning. I think it was awesome. But today you got what? <laughs> we got three or four inches of snow on the ground and another three or four coming. And, uh, the second season in Iowa opens tomorrow morning and Wade's wife, Kyle has a tag. So, you know, if we can get to a spot where we have a signal, we'll try to go live and uh, do something in the snow so everybody can see a, a gobbler coming in in the snow. But it's been fun thus far. The birds have been pretty responsive as, as cold as the weather was. We had six-degree wind chill the first morning. The next morning, the actual Ugh. temperature was right at 20. And uh, it's just been a, a very cold season to start here in uh, in Iowa. You know, that said, your, your birds on Monday and Tuesday worked in really well. They're used to it. We're not, you know, they, <laughs> they make a living in that stuff, but, uh, it, it was fun. Coon dog and I stayed warm in a, in a box blind, you know, in both, in both situations, we had birds, birds roosted. We had the back, you know, the, the, uh, cheap seats, if you will, we were in a box blind filming everything and, and, uh, Wade and Perry were out in front of us. So we have socially distanced so that we can all hunt together. We spent seven days isolated on our own to make sure that when we got together, we could start clean, stay clean. And now we're not going to see anyone for the next uh, four weeks as we, we go through Turkey camp, canceled all guests. It's just us. We got a tag. So we're going to make the most of it when we have, them. you know, I was, I was going to hammer you guys because on the newsfeed there on, on Deercast, I saw you walking in and coon dog had that heater under his arm. I was like, what does this world come to? You know, here we are turkey hunting and you're carrying a heater with you. Really? Bull, young bull trick there. <laughs> <laughs> did not have a heater. <laughs> you know what was so interesting to me about that hunt is Mark, your angle, you got to see so the blind is kind of yeah. in front of you. That Wade and Perry's blind, but the gobblers are coming in from the left and they varied their speed. Like those guys in the blind, they couldn't see those birds, but you could. And they just change. They they're towards the end. They they start running in. But as a hunter, you don't like you don't always know what's coming behind you. It's amazing how those birds tend to just surprise you when you're least expecting it. It was a cool perspective we've never done before. But I want to try and emulate that again because it it really made for a neat view. 
and we ended up with over 100,000 views on Facebook. So clearly people in, enjoyed it. And obviously with the quarantine, a lot more people are, are attentive. But uh, we'll continue to try to go live on the camp. Yeah, so, that was cool. So JP and I were texting yesterday. and He was scouting there in Missouri, getting ready for the Missouri season starts on Monday the 20th. And uh, he was making me jealous because he, he had already gotten pretty close to a, a good long beard that was just hammering out there in that field. Oh, man, that was a beautiful morning yesterday about like Iowa. It was about 30 degrees in the morning. And uh, I went out with my still camera just trying to hear where the birds were roosted. And I told Mark, I let out two little calls just trying to get him in the same field as me to take pictures. And then I put my call away and he came right in on a string. You know, it's unbelievable from 150 yards. He was able to pinpoint me within, you know, 10 or 12 yards, came in gobbling, spitting and drumming. Couldn't be more ready for Monday. <laughs> awesome. But Tammy on Facebook Live is checking in from Duval, Saskatchewan. Can you imagine how cold and nasty it is up in Saskatchewan right now? Who knows? Tammy, <laughs> do you have any snow up there? Man. It Mark, might be 80 I, degrees. <laughs> I vividly remember a hunt that we had. It was first season Iowa, and I don't remember how many years ago that was, 20, 25 years ago. And I think we were going through 18 to 20 inches of snow, if I remember right. And uh, we didn't kill one that morning because it was so noisy trying to get under them. But uh, they worked, or they, they gobbled pretty doggone good. Similar similar weather conditions. They did. So, I've never gotten to hunt turkeys in the snow before. I'd love to pick your guys' brain. I got a question. If you go out and it's snowing like tomorrow morning, Mark, how are you going to set up differently than you would on a normal spring morning? I won't set up much differently, in all honesty. You know, you know the turkeys really dictate the hunt. So wherever they're at, we'll go to them. Um, we'll probably try to make sure we get in a blind because, you know, you want to have total concealment. Um, but it, it's, it's about like any other hunt that, like I said, they're used to this stuff. It's us that aren't, we think it's, we think it's unique, but it's the mating season. Hens and gobblers are mating and they're going to go through and do the same thing that they normally would. One thing that I think from a weather perspective that really shuts them down, if it's snowing hard at the time, that'll slow them down or hard precipitation like rain really shuts them down as well but they they were quite active yesterday morning in the snow we had an inch inch and a half yesterday and i mean they gobbled their their breastbones out i mean they really talked we heard i don't know how many gobblers between three different groups we were just out scouting for kyle's upcoming hunt but i think we were over 40 different gobblers we had heard between three different scattered across multiple farms so it it was an awesome morning that's great so, JP, how how is the turkey population down in because you're down in southwest Missouri, right? Yeah, so I live in southwest Missouri and uh, and hunt in central Missouri quite a bit. And uh, the main area that I hunt, we've still got quite a few uh, birds around. But uh, further south, a couple of places that I hunt, um, you know, the bird numbers are definitely down. Uh, sea claims, you know, bad hatches the last couple of years lack of uh you know predator control and trappings not going on like it used to and i think those are just some factors that play in but you know uh we've got a great conservation department here and i'm sure over the next couple years we'll see it bounce back as we get some better conditions one of the interesting things that i think that has happened during the quarantine and we're seeing it down in tennessee their numbers of birds harvested has really skyrocketed because so many people are you know off work uh, and so, you know, I just wonder, you know, we had uh, Dr. Mike Chamberlain on, a, you know, a few podcasts ago and, and off the podcast, once it ended, we were talking a little bit about turkeys and and he was a little concerned uh, in general about the turkey population. And, you know, I, I have a feeling that this isn't going to do many states uh, any favors 
as far as, you know, you couldn't, a lot of people can't travel to go out of state. That helps. But unfortunately, the population, the human population that are in the states, they're getting out more. I mean, it's good and bad. We want people to be able to experience the outdoors and get get out and uh, probably relieve some stress. But the downside is the turkey population is taking a huge hit and it probably doesn't have, we don't have the numbers to be able to take on that hit. What do you guys think about that? My gut would be that, uh, you know, one great thing about our North American model of conservation is that these are renewable resources. And as long as we tailor the management to kind of the times, people can go out and enjoy the resources and, you know, we'll be able to change uh, regs or harvest limits for the future. I think personally, this could be a great thing because we're seeing, especially in our sports of uh, hunting and fishing and just general going out in the outdoors, participation slipping, recruitment among younger people, we're losing them. So part of the silver lining in this uh, situation we're all facing across the country right now is families are spending time together and uh, hopefully kids are getting bored and their parents are going to take them out and introduce them to fishing or turkey hunting and and hopefully we recruit some new people to the sports. Well, uh, to to Jake... I'm sorry, go ahead. Tim, I've seen that on DeerCast on our news feed. It seems like there's a lot of, you know, father, son, father, daughter, husband, wife. There's just more family activities going on to your point, JP, that you're absolutely correct. And I'm loving those hunts. I mean, I think they're awesome. Some of those kids, it's their first bird, you know, or first time hunting. So it's pretty cool to watch all that. I think we're watching it unfold before our eyes, but it's exactly what you've uh, pointed out, JP. Just a heads up, Cameron and I are, Coming to Turkey Camp, Terry. So. Now, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. Last night, I was going to go roost some birds, and I asked my daughter if she wanted to go with me, and she was dying to get out of the house and go do something. So to JP, to your point, it's happening. Whereas she probably would have been on the fence before because we weren't actually going hunting. It was just more of a scouting mission, but she was dying for something other other to do than just be here at, at, at the house. <laughs> You know, it really fits the message that I've seen you guys tailored within your latest ad. And I was like, man, that is a power. It's really not an ad. It's a statement. And it's such a powerfully well done piece, man. I thought it was awesome. I don't know if we can share that or not, but that thing is is phenomenally. Well, thank you. Uh, You know, it's incredibly tough uh, times for our entire country right now. It's affected, you know, our business and and people across the whole country. And uh, this was something my dad worked on. And as you said, you know, not so much an ad, but just kind of a uh, positioning statement for Bass Pro and Cabela saying, hey, everybody, there's still nature out there. We still got to get out and live our lives. Just do it responsibly. And I think it'd be awesome if you want to show the, the spot. I would love to. To everyone in our great outdoor family, you may be feeling a little cooped up, but don't forget. There are still rocks to be skipped. Trails to be trampled, bass to be caught. The great outdoors are wide open and they're calling us like never before. In these trying times, we need nature more than ever. We need nature to remind us that like a sunrise or the turning of the tides, these challenges will pass. We need nature to help us heal and reconnect with the ones we love the most. So when you can, get back to nature. Get back to each other. We're here for you. That is a beautiful message, brother. Hats off on that one, buddy. 
Well, thank you. We've got a lot of talented, passionate people, and, and they all work hard to help us come up with some of this great stuff. And proud to be able to do it. Yeah, you watch that, and it makes you want to go outdoors. It makes you want to, you know, get away from the news media, the constant 24-7 negative media that we continue to see. And you get outdoors, and it's like, yeah, everything's good for a while. Pretty, pretty yeah. soon. The turkeys and fish don't know it, that's for sure. <laughs> well, JP, one thing that you guys have always done, your message has been consistent for decades. So I think that's commendable. It, it doesn't change. It doesn't alter. It's always been the same message. Well, thank you. You know, uh, my dad, I've been, he's such a great mentor. I'm so lucky to get to work with him on a daily basis and, uh, and all of our other great outfitters and associates across the companies. But, you know, his, um, his leadership has always been about conservation, connecting families, getting people outdoors. And as long as you hold true to those few things, I think we're going to be doing all right. So, JP, obviously, you know, a lot of people are going through tough times. A lot of companies are, are, you know, it's just been hard on everybody with this quarantine. So what's Bass Pro doing? You know, what types of things are you guys doing in order to still service, you know, the the hunting population and fishing population needs while they're kind of quarantined here? Well, you know, Matt, across the country, we've seen a lot of different uh, rules and uh, laws come into uh, effect uh, from different cities, different states. So it really varies on the local community on what our stores have been able to do. Uh, You know, we've made some uh, steps. We've taken ourselves across the board to not let any more than 50 people in the store at a time. wherever we've been uh, forced to close, but are allowed to still uh, do curbside. We're still servicing customers, right? Uh, And then also um, we have ramped up all of our direct um, support groups. So where we've had to furlough some people from retail stores and we have distribution centers there, we've been trying to move people over to help us get out orders in a quick and efficient manner. And we've also started doing ship from store. So in a lot of cases, you can order something uh, from BassPro.com. It'll ship from your local store, and it might be there in a day or two. Uh, at least if they're over fifty dollars, they're guaranteed in two days. So we're still doing a great job servicing our customers even through this, you know, crazy time. And uh, just really want to say a great thank you to all of our outfitters that are stepping up to to make this happen. I would assume your e-commerce side is doing quite well. Is it not? It is. It's it's doing well for sure. But um, you know, we've got. Uh, a lot of stores across the country that have been impacted uh, very heavily by this. And, you know, unfortunately, I don't see the incoming anytime real soon. But, um, you know, I'm hoping our medical staff and teams across the country are working hard to hopefully find us a vaccine or a way that we can start to move past this and get back to business as usual and life as we knew it. Mm-hmm. Well, I can't thank, cannot thank that group enough. Those, those uh, frontliners have done an unbelievable job walking into that position each and every day and, you know, exposing themselves and their families to a certain extent is just, it goes without saying that we're very, very fortunate, very blessed to have those people out there leading the charge so that, uh, so that we can get back to, back to normal. Speaking of normal, we've got uh, Scott Bestel and Paul Butsky that are watching on Facebook live right now. I don't know if you would qualify as normal. He's a Hall of Famer. But he, he says that he, we're killing him talking about turkey hunting while he sits there in New York when he knows he was supposed to be getting on a plane tomorrow to come hunt with us. That 
that's what kind of stinks, you know, for a lot of people. They probably had a lot of plans to go hunting, just like, you know, we had a lot, a lot of plans as well. And all that's kind of going out the window. We had a big group coming in from uh, GSM, you know, uh, HS, walkers, all that stuff. And, and unfortunately, we have to put that on hold for a little while. One of the things I was thinking of when we were watching that, that BP spot there at the beginning of the show, the bass boat going across the lake, not in Michigan, (laughs) (laughs) governor Whitmer has, has, has precluded people from has banned people from using motorboats in a number of other, um, other mandates that she put out in this new, in this new COVID mandate. They're not, Michigan residents are not allowed to travel to their, maybe they have a lake cabin or something or a second home. They can't get out on a motorboat or a jet. And it's a little early for jet skis in Michigan, but still just the over, you wanted to go out on your bass boat and spend the weekend away from other people. You can't do that in Michigan. I, I you think, know, uh, Terry, you brought up something. Yeah, go ahead, JP. I was going to say, Terry, you brought up something earlier or Mark that we haven't really changed our messaging in a long time. And, you know, we're usually pretty soft-spoken on things and, and pretty passionate about conservation. But uh, my dad really uh, spoke up and it's something he rarely does, but the other day, and he went out on, our social media platforms, which I don't even know if he really knows what social media is. So it's pretty (laughs) funny, but he did a little video along with Kevin Van Dam and Mark Zona, who both live in Michigan talking about this issue and urging anglers to call the governor's office, let her hear about it. And he was so nervous about it, right? Because he kind of spoke up and he's thinking about what kind of negative feedback we're going to get. And by and large, people were extremely thankful and wished that People would have spoken up across the board in other states first and in Michigan as well. And so they had this rally yesterday in front of the Capitol. And I mean, there were guys with trucks and boats honking their horns, demanding their freedom to get to go out and fish. And so while we can, as long as you're doing these things responsibly, I mean, what's wrong with getting outside and enjoying nature a little bit? Well, I... I actually thought that was one of the recommendations that CDC had was either a hunting or fishing activity where they were they were almost promoting that activity out, out of doors. So I don't know. Mixed message, I guess you would say there. I definitely think there are some politics involved. I think Governor Whitmer is uh, a potential VP candidate and she's been singled out by the president before. And so I think this was kind of a finger in his chest saying, no, you don't have authority over this state. So I think there's probably some deeper tentacles to this legislation than just what's on the surface. Well, I, I think the public uh, pushed back a little bit yesterday. So. And, 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 and we need to, because you, you keep establishing these precedents and it's like the frog in the, in the boiling pot of water. You keep giving these things up and they're, they're not going to, they're not going to give these, these freedoms back. They're going to realize, Oh, we could, we took this here at this point. So we can push a little farther, a little farther. You got to, at some point you got to draw a line. I think we're going to take governor uh, Whitmer, either turkey hunting or fishing or something, JP, and sure the other side. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. I mean, you know what? Uh, There's one thing about hunting and fishing is that it's a great time to get outdoors. People you love, Uh, even if it's by yourself, it's a good stress reliever. Right now, people across our country have just got unbelievable stresses on them. Uh, and so to get outdoors, get out of the house, keep you from going stir crazy. I mean, what's wrong with that? If anything, we should be encouraging. Absolutely. I think that's a good jumping off point to jump into our question of the day today. Uh, Tim, if you want to take us through that, we got a pretty good one. And it's timely with the turkey hunting, getting people outside, outdoors. 
Tim, uh, take us through it here, buddy. Yep. So today's question of the day is brought to you by Cabela's Bass Pro. Your adventure starts here. And it's from Doug Glessner in Pennsylvania. Hi, this is Doug Glessner from Boswell, Pennsylvania. Um, our turkey season doesn't start till the end of April. Um, and I was just curious to what your recommendations are for a decoy setup. Um, I hunt mostly wooded areas, partial farmlands, but mostly wooded. Um, any suggestions would be greatly appreciated. Thanks a lot. Bye. Okay, Doug, thanks for asking the question. If you want to uh, leave a question for the podcast, just go to drewoutdoors.com slash podcast and click the send voicemail button and leave your uh, name, location, and what your question is, and we will do our best to get that on the air, and we appreciate it. And so, guys, what do you think? Uh, is hunting in the timber any different decoy-wise than maybe setting out on a field? You know, I, I think I know what Mark's answer might be. I'd, lo- I'd love to hear JP's first, Mark, if you don't care. Sure, of course. You know, whenever I go set up in the timber, one of the things I love about the timber is it's, you know, it's a little harder for the turkey sometimes to see whether you have a decoy or not. And a lot of times I go in the timber, I love to move around. That's one of the things I love to do in the timber. So to get out, try to strike a gobble, a lot of times uh, if I'm hunting, you know, private ground, I'll carry a tail fan with me or even like the decoys you always carry with you, Mark. That way, if you need to peek up over a hill, you can, you can use it to kind of conceal some movement. But a lot of times I don't even use a hen decoy in the woods because it's hard for the turkeys to see them anyway until they get so close. Pretty well stated. And, yeah. and I, I would go one step further with that question is I would I would look to whether I'm hunting on private land or state lands up there in Pennsylvania. There's some beautiful hardwoods up there on, on gorgeous state lands. And if I'm on state land or public land, I'm probably not going to be too, uh, too keen on putting a decoy out or using a fan or something like that. I'm going to try and get in a good setup position and when that gobbler enters, then I'm gonna, I want him to be within range. So that really comes down to where you set up. If, however, you have a big, expansive, open hardwood and you just can't get any closer, or maybe he's across a valley or something, I might put a, a decoy out, especially on, on private ground. If I did, I'd probably put a single jake or a single hen, depending on what time of the mating season I was at. Hmm. So, Mark, wh- how would you make that distinction early season versus late season in terms of decoys? I'm, I'm usually Jake early and late, and then I'm hen once they're into the peak of breeding. But I, I use a Jake more often than anything, or a Jake and hen combo. We have a lot, a lot of luck with a Jake standing over a hen about to breed her. That's Push a that. really good combination for us. Push that territorial button. So, and the, the thing is, another great thing, another great thing in the woods too. I like to find anytime you can find logging roads to where the turkey can see a distance. Always a great place to set up in the intersection of those roads or clear cuts. That way, if you are going to use a decoy, you give the bird the best chance to be able to find it. And really, with today's decoys, you don't have to worry so much about them seeing it and not believing it's a real real thing, right? I mean, you look at the decoys that are available out there between Avian and Dave Smith and HS. I mean, there are amazing decoy choices. We love the Avian X line, and I have all the confidence in the world when I set it out. When a turkey sees it, they're going to think it's the real thing. So that that consideration in the old days, Terry, if you think of the old Featherflex decoys flopping in the wind and stuff back, you know, 25 years ago, they weren't nearly as advanced as they are today. These hens look, or these hens and jigs look like they could come to life and start walking and, and plucking and purring. To JP's point, 25 years ago, we used to set up on those logging roads and expect that turkey to work down a logging road. And it's it somewhat depends on how pressured they are, JP. 
it seems like now they always want to just hang off of that logging road and kind of skirt you just a little bit to where they can see just over the over the lip or over the edge, if you will. And they'll come out on it, you know, a lot of times, oftentimes, but it takes them a little while to get there if, if they've uh, experienced any pressure at all. So keeping those decoys out there in visibility, I think, is a good idea. But you really got to watch your, your sidelines, too, because so often they want to skirt you inside the timber just slightly before they come onto those logging roads. So, you know, kind of playing off this question, are there any other really good tips? for hunting in the timber because you know when you know when you guys first started a lot of those early videos all your hunts were in the timber it seemed like and you may or may not have seen the turkey when it got shot (laughs) but you know now you know trying to get the best footage and and you know we've seen a shift just like we have in the deer hunting side of things and what we do moving to the fields so you know what other tips can you guys provide if you're you know if you strictly have timber hunting available to you uh, as far as getting on them in the roost or, you know, what other tips might you guys provide? The thing that I think about timber is it gives you the luxury of choosing your setup a lot easier than it is in an open field, just because of the visibility. Oftentimes when you're in an open field, I use the cover of darkness to get our decoy sets there. Later on in the day, you don't have that luxury of the cover of the darkness to put a blanket over you and let you do what you want to do. In the timber, you do have the cover of topography often or the trees and all the foliage, that type of stuff. So it allows you to get a little bit closer. And the thing that I'm always looking for, and I remember this from a seminar that Ray I did probably 40 years ago, maybe 38, 40 years ago, he talked about using terrain to your advantage. In other words, set up to where when that gobbler shows up from where he's coming to where you're at, you've got him within range. And that that holds true. To this day it was a great tip back then and it still is to this day you know something that uh i'm hearing in the back of my mind is from old jerry martin and jerry uh taught me how to turkey hunt he's worked for us for you know 40 years he helped get us into hunting and uh he would always talk about the ridges in the timber and so i'm sure you guys would say the same but when you go to set up it's almost always easier to call a turkey up a hill than it is down a hill and so he would a lot of times play that game with turkeys in the timber to try to understand how to hunt them on the ridges and not have to call them, you know, through a bottom or across a Creek. And so that's, that's a little topography thing to keep in the back of your mind too. The other thing about timber hunting is it creates an echo chamber that holds your sound within that timber. If you're out in an open field, your call may only go a couple hundred yards because the open air eats it up in the timber. It holds it in and it creates, I think a more resonating tone and you don't have to call as loudly in the timber as you might want to out in an open field situation. If you compare, you know, say the open expansive stuff out in Western Oklahoma, Terry to the hardwoods on your place there, big difference in volume, perhaps a big difference in overall call choice, friction versus air. But there's nothing better in my opinion than being in the echo chamber, working a turkey, getting him to gobble back and hearing that roar and that echo within the timber. I mean, that's what spring turkey hunting is all about, in my opinion. I also think that there's a huge difference between trying to capture it on camera and just going out there to kill a turkey. To your point, both of you guys, when you're in the timber like that, it does allow you to do a little slipping and sliding, a little belly crawling, and particularly if you're fanning like you talked about, JP, you can get you know pretty doggone close to them. Or nowadays with the ammunition and what have you, you can get within gun range a lot easier in the timber than you can on an open field scenario. And we're you know we're all obviously trying to get the best footage we can, but if you're just out there hunting trying to kill one, I like slipping and sliding from tree to tree or whatever whatever it takes. You know, like you brought up, Mark, in the timber, it always seems uh, 
to make a difference in the way your call sounds. And so one thing I've always had to struggle with sometimes when I'm hunting birds in the timber is I want to try to get too close. And depending on how the situation works, sometimes been on the open field, they sound like they're a long way. You get over there and you end up screwing it up because you got too aggressive. And so sometimes you got to remember, sometimes it'll muffle those gobbles too. So no doubt. And I think your calling just sounds better in the timber because you can hear it. You know how you're sounding. It's almost like singing in the shower versus singing through the rest of the house. You're much better in the shower than you are anywhere else in the house. Well, the timber's the same way. I think you can give your best sounds there because you hear it come back to you a little bit better and you can get on tone a little bit better. Mark, do you think that um, hunting in a ground blind, you know, in a field versus maybe sitting against a tree also plays into that and, and being able to hear it a little bit differently? No doubt. A hundred percent. Absolutely. That ground blind is the worst place you could possibly call. It's I'm, you'll see me oftentimes stick my head out of the blind to call if I know they're not within visual so that I can hear myself better and hear their response. That's the biggest issue. You can't hear what they're doing. Whereas in the timber, you hear it all. So every situation is different. You just have to play it, you know, to where you have the best advantage with how you set up, what you use, what calls you use, and how you're going to call to that turkey. But to me, the epitome, the best best scenario is in the timber with, with a gobbler working from 200 yards, gobbling all the way in. I mean, that's turkey hunt. There's nothing more exciting than a gobbler that continues hammering as he's making his way to you. In that situation, do you shut up and let him keep coming, or do you keep trying to coax him in? Well, you're probably supposed to, but I don't shut up very often. <laughs> once in a while I do, but man, it only comes around once a year. And, you know, I try to sound as much like a hen as I can. And if he's responsive, I try to charge him up. I want every gobble I can get out of him without without hanging him up. So I'm probably guilty of calling more than I should, but I, I like hearing him gobble. I have a tip for you, Tim. If you want to know when you should call, do a Facebook Live when you're hunting because the audience will let you know. <laughs> <laughs> They're full of tips. <laughs> I had a guy once make a comment. He said, I was calling live and we were calling this bird in and, and I was I was also watching the comments and the guy goes, He's called more in the last five minutes than I have the last four years. <laughs> it's, it's like the guys that complain about shot placement when you're when you're sitting behind a dead deer. Well, the shot must have worked because yeah. you're still there. The still the deer's dead. So we got a couple questions coming in from Facebook. Uh, Dorothy Graham wanted to know what's the best way to call a tom away from a hen. That's that's always a tough one. I'm generally one of two things. Number one, I'm going to try to get within a visual sight line of him and use a fan. If it's a safe scenario in which to do so, Dorothy, that takes, uh, it takes some knowledge of the area and make sure you're not on public ground. I probably would never use a fan on public ground, frankly, but if I'm on private and I've got a good comfort level with my surroundings, I'll try to show him a fan very slowly. If you can get within visual without him spotting you first. Uh, if you're just uh uh, strictly relying on your calling, then I'm going to try and get aggressive and not pay as much attention to the gobbler, but I'm going to try to get her charged up. If I can get her yelping back, sometimes she'll go in, but more often than not, you're set up for failure in that situation. Once in a while, a gobbler, if he's been with the same hen for multiple days in a row, suddenly a new voice means something to him and he will peel away from that hen and oftentimes she'll come following him. But more often than not, nine out of 10 times you're going to fail in that situation. But that one out of 10, that's the one where you keep going back. I use a fan or I try to call aggressively and get them interested, get them fired up. Hey, the other alternative there, depending on where you're at in the, in the breeding season, 
is if they are in fact laying or, or setting oftentimes by 10, 10.30 in the morning, that hen may peel off and go lay another egg or she may set up on her nest and he's an altogether different animal when she's not with him. So if you're very patient and you wait till sometimes later on in the morning, 10, 30, 11 o'clock, that's when you can throw the kitchen sink at him. And sometimes it, it don't take much if he's lost sight of her. If he's got an eyeball on her, he's an altogether different animal. Once he loses sight of that hen, if she just goes to lay another egg, it's a, it's a different game. Dorothy, I'll interpret Terry's patience with a breakfast from about 8 to 9.30. <laughs> Boom. Yes. <laughs> so Casey Bernal has a, a great tip here. He says, put a garter belt on your hen decoys. Casey. <laughs> <laughs> He said it works every time. <laughs> Brad is wanting to know if Drew Outdoors is going to have any issues with producing shows because of the COVID-19 quarantines in place. Matt? Yeah, you know, I, we've been talking about this a lot, just like any company. You you know, we're, we're looking out and, and trying to make sure we make the right moves now and, and, uh, and are stronger when we come out of this at the end. And ultimately, I think uh, we're in a little bit of a different position than a lot of um, production companies out there in our industry. And the fact that our model is built around the Dury Outdoors team, and it has been since 1989. And so we got people spread out all across the country. And um, I think it's going to it will cut down on the out of state trips a little bit, uh, potentially. Uh, but in general, the guys that are hunting on leases around their home turf or, or have little farms around their home properties, I think it won't affect them uh, in, a, in a great way, to be honest with you. So uh, the beauty of, of our model is that uh, we have so many guys and gals out there across the country. I think we're going to be be OK. And, and we're pretty committed to the network and and online and our partners to providing the best content that uh, that you can get in outdoor uh production and, and we're going to continue to do that we've done it for 31 years and, and i don't see us slowing down hey matt you might address our editorial staff in our studio as well and how long they've been at home yeah so as of well as of tomorrow we would have been uh we, we would have been quarantined for a full month so a uh, kind of the beauty of what we do we everybody kind of pulled their systems their editing systems and we had you know 12 people in the studio there we we pulled them and and everybody took them home and took hard drives home with footage. We work off of a central server at the studio, but we were able to take footage and put them on individual hard drives and take that with us. So uh, we're still chugging along. Mark, you know, and, and Terry, they're still proofing hunts uh, from their homes. And it hasn't affected us as badly as I know it has affected a lot of other people uh, out there across the country. So we've been fortunate in that regard. But you know, we view this as an as a opportunity to bring, you know, a release, you know, some entertainment to people that might be at home and, and, and try to do it, you know, in a big way. For instance, over in DeerCast right now, we have a free view, all of our old VHS and DVD titles, it, you know, which was behind the, the pay tiers, a pro or elite account, you know, typically right now we've turned all that free and, and we'll way for for the uh, foreseeable future so that people if you're at home you know go enjoy that content and, and we'll keep putting stuff out on DeerCast and youtube on facebook instagram we're, we're chugging along and putting out as much content now as we ever have and hopefully you know for for whatever reason it might bring somebody a little bit of enjoyment uh while, while they might be quarantined or stuck at home 
you know, I'll throw this out for JP. I know, you know, in certain parts of the country, there's some really specific hot spots. But from rural America standpoint, we're seeing a lot of a lot of sectors that are already ramping up and gearing up. And uh, from a positive standpoint, things are starting to be a little brighter. You know, looking down the road towards tomorrow, I, I think things are going to start ramping up in a good way here. I sure hope so. I mean, we started off this year on a great trend for the whole country and our businesses. I mean, you know, everything was going so smooth and so great. Nobody could foresee this coming. But, you know, if there's one thing that we've all learned out of this is everybody loves their freedom. Everybody loves to get outdoors. Everybody loves to go to events and see their friends and family. So as soon as this is over and we get the all clear, I know there's gonna be a lot of people ready to get back to life. Absolutely. Giant pause button has been pressed. Man. Everybody's <laughs> just waiting for the play button to be pressed again. But it would seem that someone has a bigger plan. And this might have been a little bit of a gut check for all of us, you know, to to analyze families and what's important. And and uh, I think coming out of this, we're all going to be much stronger, truthfully. So I just have seen a, an uptick here of late, the last few days, particularly where a lot of positive things are happening. So. I'm, I'm very optimistic about, you know, looking forward. Mm -hmm. JP, any uh, bow fishing plans for the spring here? Oh, you know, I love to bow fish. It's one of my favorite things to do. And as soon as turkey season passes, uh, even if we catch a nice day during turkey season, I might try to slip out and do a little bow fishing. I've been after these two uh, trying to get them out bow fishing with me. <laughs> they spent some time at Lake of the Ozarks. It's one of my favorite places to go. So, well, once we get down the road here, uh, uh, I'll get these boys addicted to some other kind of outdoor sport, just like they need another hobby. <laughs> there's nothing, there's nothing like it. it. It is a ton of fun. Although, because Matt and I were talking about boat fishing too, and it's one of my goals in life to get Matt out on the boat fishing boat. It stinks way more than deer hunting. <laughs> hey, you know what? I think boat fishing is literally the perfect sport for this social distancing thing. Cause you go out at night, you get the whole lake to yourself. And the next morning, you smell so bad, nobody's wanting to get with you. <laughs> so I think we're good. Yep, my wife would agree with that. <laughs> well, you, are you guys up for a little game before we uh, shut the show down? Let's do it. So, uh, so JP, every ep almost every episode, we have a segment called The Wildlife Word, and really it's the anchor for the entire show. That's why people tune in. <laughs> Matt's agreeing. Mark's agreeing. <laughs> Terry is offering a tacit endorsement over there. <laughs> so it's a multiple choice. I'm going to give you... I'm going to give you a word, and this this week's word is a it's a name. So I'll give you the name, and then I'll give you the multiple choice, and you guys get to pick which one you think it is. So this week's wildlife word is morcella. It's morcella, and it's a name. Is it a the name for the individual strands within a turkey's beard? B, an outdoor country music festival held annually in March in Wisconsin, headlined by Cletus T. Judd. The name of the wife on the Adams family, or a genus of edible fungi with a honeycomb appearance on its cap. I'm gonna add one more. Uh, uh, maybe it's a cocktail. Name of a cocktail. <laughs> <laughs> Terry would know that definitively. <laughs> That's what I was thinking when JP started talking about being down at the lake. I was thinking, I was smelling the smoker going that Matt's got the ribs on, and we typically have our feet up. We have a hard time leaving the dock. Your mind was drifting. This word, this is a tough one. I thought this was some one of the uh, opera singers <laughs> the guy <laughs> in Italy that was just singing the other day. I don't know on this one. 
JP, I'm what do you got? It's a fungus. And if Matt has this too much longer quarantine, he'll be making it into a drink. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> J- JP is dead on. It is essentially, it's the genus that the morel mushroom belongs to, which is beautifully tasty this time Ooh. of year. Hey, JP's already quick, found a bunch. Have you found any morels yet? Probably not in the snow. Yeah. Have you, JP? I found about 35 or so, so far for the spring, just last week before this cold front. But I have a feeling next week, warmer weather, a little rain, just what we need. Yeah. Yep. Were they along creek banks or, or bottom fields? Where'd you find them at? You know, I've got some historically great spots down by the creeks, and I have not found a single mushroom down there yet. I found these on south-facing slopes a little bit higher around a couple of dead ash trees. There you go. Where they got a little sunlight. Yep, exactly. Mm-hmm. You fry them up? Yep, we always do uh, a little bit of butter, and uh, we uh, put some crushed up saltine crackers on them, and oh, yeah. uh, and butter. It's pretty hard to beat. You know, I posted something about that the other day about using crackers, and uh, and there wasn't a lot of response. I wondered how many people did them with either saltines or Ritz, and man, oh man, what breading for a mushroom, you know, and frying them in butter. It doesn't much matter what you put on them. They're great, but uh, <laughs> but it's hard to beat breading them and, and cooking them in some butter. You know, the the other couple overlooked fungus in Missouri, at least, and kind of in the Midwest in general, chanterelles and chicken of the woods. Those are those are also delicious, but they get overlooked and which is fine by me. But there's a the, the challenges with edible mushrooms is that if you eat the wrong one, you can get really sick. And so people are need to exercise caution. But now is the time for morels for sure. Because we're in quarantine, you're saying maybe you want to <laughs> you want to try something new. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I'm having a hallucinogenic effect from this uh, strange mushroom I found that I'm not supposed to smoke it, Tim. Yeah. Don't tell me how to live, Terry. Smoke mushrooms <laughs> if I want to. <laughs> I don't know. All a couple right. couple more days with the kiddos, and I may be looking for some escape, mental go. or otherwise. On that note, I'd say we ought to shut her down. Anything else to add, fellas? Any tips or, or tactics to leave with or part with for the uh, the people at home? Stay I want to be with Mark when he tries the bow fishing. <laughs> I'm, I'm holding you two to that. I'm bringing both you guys out there. You'll have a blast. All right. All right. That'd be fun. Well, hey, you know what? Good luck turkey hunting uh, this week to you guys. And uh, stay safe. And uh, God bless our great country and, and all of our frontline workers. And let's all pray we get through this thing and get back to life as usual. Ditto. Well, well said. said. Thank you, buddy. We appreciate everything you guys do, JP. Absolutely. All right. Thank you, guys. All See right. you, JP. All right. Thank you. See you next time. Everybody wash your hands and peace out.